Blog Talk Radio. Every year you want to be on the good list, not the bad list. Tonight, we will go through the best and the worst of 2016. What driver had the best season? What was the best race of the 2016 season? Who was the best team? Who was the best surprise? And much more. Plus, we'll take your phone calls. 917-889-8280. 61 days until the day's only 500. 53 until the clash. And just 50 days until we pull the trucks out to Daytona. It's Talking Circles. And welcome to Talking in Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell here with SpeedwayMedia.com's John Harlow as we bring you a special episode of Talking in Circles, the final episode of the 2016 season for us. We move into 2017 next week. Obviously, we hope everybody had a wonderful holiday season. Uh, it was a really fun 2016 season for with all you people. John Harlow, SpeedwayMedia.com will join me in a second. We will break down the 2016 season. Starting off by who was the best driver in the 2016 season, I bring on John Harlow from SpeedwayRadio.com. John, hope you had a great holiday season. What's going on tonight? Oh, it's a it's a good night. Hope everybody had a Merry Christmas, uh, enjoying their Hanukkah, if that's what they celebrate. I had a great Festivus. We aired a lot of grievances. We uh, had the feats of strength that everybody did well. Um, <clears throat> the first one, like you brought up, best driver of the year, the question is, do you go all 36 races? If you don't, I'd go Martin Truex Jr. in the Furniture Road team. He had the best year that I think anybody had. He led more laps than anybody. He won a lot of races. He was in contention every week. If you add the chase in, I think Kevin Harvick did, because if you look at the overall math, he would have won the points title under the old race, the old set. So, I mean, it's toss-up between Truex and Kevin Harvick. Rodney Childers and Kevin Harvick have been on since the minute they formed that number four team. But that 78 bunch took Joe Gibbs' equipment and made it even better. 917-889-8280. Listen, there is no doubt Martin Truex Jr. and that 78 team had a wonderful season this year. I agree. I think it's it's an interesting take because I think when you look at the 2016 season as a whole, absolutely. You look at Joe Gibbs Racing and Martin Truex Jr. Furniture Row Racing Team as the team, the teams that really had speed, and they were really, really fast. Um, I think what I'm going to do tonight, John, I'm going to give you the best, and then I'm going to give you the close second, just because uh, there are some decisions that are really hard for me to make. So I'm going to give you the best and the close second here. But um, listen, I, I agree. I think Truex b- belongs in the conversation. There's no doubt about it. But I'm going to go Kevin Harvick. And I think people were kind of surprised by this because he didn't really make a, a big run at the championship. But he had 27 top 10 finishes, won four races. And you got to remember, this team was losing a lot of information towards the end of the year because of their pending move to Ford in 2017. Um, I thought Harvick and Rodney Childers in that Ford team are great. But I thought as far as Harvick was concerned, this is a guy who, you know, people forget he was at Rich Childers Racing for 13 years of his career. And 
Dave Wallace, since Harvick's left, he's he's one of the top the top five drivers in the conversation, the top three, and in the conversation for the best driver in the sport currently. Um, I think Harvick does a great job. I thought this year he did a, a fabulous job for the circumstances that four car was giving given. Uh, you know, again, I think they were kind of at the end of the year, they weren't the same team they were in the beginning of the year because of the information that was being cut off between Hendrick Motorsports and Tony Star, Stewart House Racing. But I think Harvick belongs I think I got Harvick as my pick. My close to second my close second is Jimmy Johnson. Um I think people might be surprised by this because listen, Hendrick Motorsports, we talked about it, we documented it plenty of times throughout the year. Hendrick Motorsports and F forty eight team were unbelievable bad for about the majority of the season. But at the end of the day, what teams set up and what drivers set up to do, what their goal is, is to win a championship. And, and Jimmy Johnson and Hendrick Motorsports did it. Yeah, it was a tough season. But when Jimmy Johnson needed to go out and close the season down in a big way, he was able to do it, John Harlow. And I think that is he deserves a lot of credit for. I think Johnson did something now I mean they tried to chase proof it to make sure Johnson didn't win it because if you look the way they used to do it they added the first 10 races whenever they started the chase and Johnson was able to dominate then they added more cars Johnson was still able to dominate and now that they've done the eliminations Johnson wasn't able to get in there until this year and Johnson was out to lunch for part of that race at Homestead they had a problem getting through inspection they started dead last. They passed half the field in the first 50 laps and then sort of sat there. And let's put it this way. Carl Edwards doesn't come down and block Joey Logano. I don't think Jimmy Johnson's your champion. I think it's a shootout between Carl and Joey to see who would have won because Jimmy Johnson wasn't in that class. When Joey got into uh, Carl Edwards, it messed up Logano's car. And Kyle Busch had a run at it, but he wasn't as strong as Edwards. But I think of the four chase, four chase drivers in that final race, Johnson was the worst car, but was in the right place at the right time, which is part of how it always works. I think him and Chad have done amazing things. I think they're going to go down in history. They're already there because Petty and Earnhardt are the only two with seven other than Johnson. And I think Johnson will find a way to get an eighth and possibly a ninth. But I think this year, Johnson might have been in the top five. But to me, Harvick and Truex are the two head and shoulders above. Then you possibly look at Logano because he won a bunch of races. Him and Keselowski were great. And then you run into Johnson because of how bad their law was between winning in April and the chase starting, because they were out to lunch for half the season. You're right. And, and again, you know, that's where weighing your options of whether or not the full 2016 season should be credited or it shouldn't. I mean, there was a time Jimmy Johnson was 11th in points this year, which it, after Darlington, which is not very 48-like at all. But you got to look back to two of his big-time racetracks, Charlotte, which was a place that Jimmy Johnson went out and dominated for most of his career, and then Martinsville, two races that helped him advance into the championship round. Martinsville is a track Jimmy goes to and performs very well at, and I think that team, to go out there and perform at the tracks they are really good at. Now, again, it wasn't a great year, 
But it always seems no matter what the season, what the circumstance, Charlotte, Martinsville, there's certain types of racetracks out there that Jimmy Johnson just performs at. And he was able to do it. If you remember correctly, he was winning Dover, too, for a while. Um, and that would have helped him advance to the, to the, to the second-to-last round of the chase. So no doubt about it, I think when you look at it as a whole, yeah, he shouldn't be in the conversation. But when he needed to win a race, he won one at Charlotte, Martinsville, and then he won a season finale at Homestead. And that's where my argument for Jimmy Johnson as the best driver of the 2016 season uh he belongs in the conversation, no doubt about it. Again, I think Harvick is the best driver of the 2016 season, but Jerry Johnson, to me, is a close second. John, uh, we hate to do this, but let's have a little fun. Who do you think was the worst, quote-unquote, driver of the 2016 season? That's a tough one. If you look at, to me what should be and how they performed. I almost want to go Casey Kane because the Hendrick equipment is top notch. And you think about it, Hendrick engines had three Stuart Haas cars in the chase. It probably would have had three Hendrick cars in the chase. If junior wouldn't have had his concussion, both Ganassi cars were in the chase. So that would have been, that's, seven of the 16 chasers with Hendrick engines and it just, they couldn't get it together. I mean, he didn't lead a lap all year and Casey Kane is in as good of equipment as you can get to not lead a lap and drive for Hendrick motorsports. That's a bad season. That's as bad as it gets. I could see people thinking at Roush Fenway, they've just been out to lunch, but they're not expected to be in there battling for everything. But you look at Casey Kane, he's in the same shop as Chase Elliott. Chase Elliott's a rookie driving Jeff Gordon's old stuff, but Chase Elliott, had he was leading races, he was getting contention for wins, and made the chase as a rookie on points. Casey Kane hmm. did not. And that's where I think you go down if you're going to say the worst. But, I mean, let's look at it this way. All 40 of them are better than you or I ever will be, or they wouldn't be in those race oh, cars. Absolutely. But the worst of the season, I'd go Casey Kane. Well, that's why I put quotes in it. I got Casey as, as a close second. Um, but my driver, worst 2016, is Brian Scott. I think um, when you think about this season as far as um, – Wrecking goes. I think Brian was in a lot of wrecks. Some of them weren't his doing. Let me just say that. Um, but he was a rookie and he was learning how to drive these race cars again, uh, drive these Cup cars. So I think that had a lot to do with it. I really do. I think his rookie season. And I think if he had a second year here, he might be a little bit better than what we saw. But it was a really tough year for that 44 car and Brian Scott. Um, and these these this package we had in 2017. A lot of people have said it's hard to wreck these cars. Well, that 44 car seems to wreck a lot this year. And, again, it might not have been his doing. might have been blown tires here or there. But it just seemed like that 44 car, for whatever the reason, was in the wall a lot this year. So I had to put Brian Scott on that list. I expected that team to perform a little bit better than what they did. But, again, Casey Kane's on that list as well. So two uh, very interesting, um, I think, drivers for the 2017 season. Well, obviously, Scott's retired now. But Casey Kane's a very interesting driver in the 2017 season. We'll touch on that in a little bit. Later on in the show, nine one seven eight eight nine eight two eight zero here. If you want to join the conversation, 
on Talking in Circles tonight, Clayton Cobalt and Speedway Media's John Harlow here as we bring you our best and worst of 2016. Okay, John, um, season, what do you got? You know, there was a, there was some nice moments, especially early on in the year, that you can really take from it. I know Darlington's always a, a, a high spot on a lot of people's race weekends and, and throughout the season because of the fact they have a throwback weekend, a lot of cool schemes. That's a, always a great race. But what is your best race of the 2016 season, John? I think the best overall race was at Auto Club Speedway. And because it's worn out and they can pass and they got the bumps and everything like that, it's passing from start to finish. And it isn't to follow the leader like it is on most of the intermediate tracks or everybody gets really spaced out. They're they're running from green flag to checkered flag out at Auto Club Speedway in California. I think the – I mean, if we go into it and down the road, there was a definite most dominant race, but I think – California was the best race, followed closely by Homestead, because Homestead always brings out good racing as well. It does, and there's what I like about Homestead is just, you have to weigh every, put everything on the line there. You know, there's no holding back. There's no, um, you know, teams trying testing and stuff like that. And I think that's what made. The, I think personally, that's what made the early part of the season so good is because everybody was trying to win a race because everybody's trying to get established. Once we got deeper into the season, I think it was kind of like, well, the teams that are really going to win races this year have already won. There's some teams testing. There's some teams doing other things, like Hendrick Motorsports. And the 48 team, we saw them kind of go out there and, and sort of test a little bit. But my best race of the season uh, is simply Phoenix. I think if you remember Phoenix, I lo- that's, a, that's a great racetrack. I think they run very well in. When Harvick and Carl Edwards were side-by-side coming off of turn four there, and they went to the start-finish line. That was in, that was incredible. That was a, a get-off-your-seat, stand-up moment. It was really remarkable. Um, and and I, forgive me, but I don't remember much other than that race, but I don't think it was too bad of a race the whole weekend, if I can remember correctly. But I thought Phoenix, where Kevin Harvick and Carl Edwards finished side-by-side and a great run to the start-finish line, I think that was a phenomenal, phenomenal race. Uh, and a close second, I think I don't think you know you're going to agree with this, John. Because listen, the majority of the race was terrible. There's no doubt about it. I think the majority of the Daytona 500 was a snooze fest. But the way that race finished, the publicity from that finish, we saw that that finish everywhere, all over the the news and everything. Uh, and how close it came, Martin Truex Jr. came to win the Daytona 500, and how close Denny Hamlin came from losing the Daytona 500. I thought that was a pretty a race that really stands out in my mind as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on Phoenix and Daytona, John? Phoenix is always a great racetrack. I mean, you and I have talked many a times. If there's tracks I would love to see more of, I'd love to see more Phoenixes. I'd love to see more Richmonds. Um, and Richmond in the daytime was a really good race. Uh, the Richmond night race was typical Richmond night race. But Richmond in the daytime was a great race. I enjoyed the heck out of it. And that's that's part of why they're running it in the daytime next year. Um, The Daytona 500, um, again, I'm one of them ones that they need to plow the banks. And um, if they want to make it a 16, 18-degree banking, that'd be okay. But if they're going to do this 31 degrees, it's just follow the leader and whoever holds their breath and doesn't crash it up is okay. Um, The thing with the Daytona 500 
I don't think it's the how close Denny, Denny Hamlin came to losing it or how close Martin Truex came to winning it. I think it's how Matt Kenseth lost it because he was trying to block and his teammate went around him and he wound up getting caught in the middle and wound up losing it by trying to block instead of just holding his own and letting fate hold where it is. That's where I. That's what I came down with the Daytona 500 is how Matt Kenseth lost it instead of who, how Denny won it or how Martin almost won it. But I really love the racing at Phoenix. It's always good. Richmond's always good, and tracks like that are going to be great. And I'm looking to see what happens when we get to those tracks again with even less downforce on the cars. Yeah, and I'm saying Phoenix is interesting because there's talk they're going to completely tear that racetrack up and completely kind of change the configuration. I know at least they're changing the, the front stretch and the back stretch and vice versa. So that's an interesting track to keep an eye on as we move forward to 2017 and the seasons uh, as we go on because I know they're putting a lot of renovation into that track. Uh, I know they're trying to make it like Daytona has been where they make it like it's almost a stadium-like field for Phoenix. But I believe they might change some, some of the uh, racing surface there as well. They, they changed it not too long ago. So I hope they don't change it to where it's – the thing that drives me nuts when, when – when, teams and tracks, or excuse me, when tracks tear up a racetrack, is they make it almost too uh, cookie-cuttery and too, they take all the character away from the racetrack. And Phoenix is a track that's, it's different. It's different than any other racetrack we go to. I would like to see it stay that way. So hopefully it stays that way. Um, the worst race of 2016, John, what do you got? Do you, do you remember a race that stood out for you that was just kind of, I know you don't like plate racing, so maybe it was one of those races. It kind of stood out, and you went, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do here? Do I really have to sit here and watch this race? What race was that for you in the 2016 season? The Coca-Cola 600. The only thing you were watching it for was to see if Truex would blow up because he was in a different area code. I mean, it was just Truex against himself because nobody else was in his neighborhood the whole race. And it was terrible. And... A close second to it, as always, Indy. As much as I love the, as much as I love the Brickyard, and as much as I would want to see a great race at the Brickyard, it's just not going to happen. There's not enough banking for the cars to go too wide in there, so it's pretty much follow the leaders, and you hope to get them going into the turn or coming out of the turn. That's the only places you have the pass because the the straightaways are so long. You might get a slingshot on them going into the turn, but that's about it. There isn't a whole lot of passing. There's not a whole lot of moving around. The Brickyard, as much as historically and everything that that track means, it just isn't made for NASCAR. Yeah, I agree. And that's my number one race this year. And I hate to, to, you know, again, I love the atmosphere of Indianapolis. I think it's cool. I love the Canyon of Grandstands. I think that's all great. The aura there. Of, of how many Indianapolis, however many Indianapolis, 100 Indianapolis 500s that have been run. I think for any in any car racing, the Indianapolis 500 is the premier event. It, uh, it's a place where I want to go just to experience that feel of the Indianapolis 500. I would love to do that. But as far as the NASCAR side is concerned, listen, I mean, there's a reason why NASCAR is talking about changing the package Again in Indianapolis. Last year in 2015, we saw the high drag, high drag package, which was a disaster. This year, we bought the new lower downforce package, and Kyle Busch led 149 of the race's 170 laps. That means only 21. There was only 21 laps not led by Kyle Busch in the 18 car, 
there was five lead changes to operation. You have to wonder, and I don't, I didn't write it down, so forgive me. Have to wonder how many of that changed under green flag pit stops. Um, listen, it was a race that was quote unquote a snooze fest, and a racetrack that for NASCAR, I believe, needs needs to. We need to figure out a package to make Indianapolis better. I've, I've come out and said. I think what NASCAR really has struggled doing here, I think what they need to start doing is building templates for different style of racetracks. What works at Richmond, I don't think is going to work at Indianapolis or Pocono. I think what works at Pocono and Indianapolis is probably the similar is the same. So let's have a completely different template for those racetracks than what we see at Richmond, what we see at Daytona, what we see at Charlotte. And I think maybe we'll get Indianapolis back to where it's watchable again because I agree, John. I think Indianapolis was the worst race. Uh, definitely belongs in the conversation as the worst race of the year. It was what we define here as a snooze fest. Well, if you think about it, back in the day before they created the car of tomorrow, they had intermediate cars. They had concrete cars they had short track cars they had speedway cars they basically built them to a little bit of it there was enough wiggle room in the rule book where they could build a car for the intermediate tracks so they could build it for the short tracks and they had concrete cars i mean you look at that one car that carl edwards had when he was at roush the only time they ran it was on the concrete when they ran it at dover and they ran it at bristol because it did well on concrete God knows how that happened, but it did. And they used to do that all the time. But then they created the car tomorrow, and whenever they did that, they said, well, this car, you could run it at Bristol one week and turn it around bring the same car to Daytona a month later, and it'll do the same thing because everybody's in the same template, so it doesn't matter what car you run where. They could go back to that, and I think it would make for better racing. It would cost the teams more. And it seems like a lot of the things they're all they're trying to do is reduce costs for the teams. And part of that's because God knows what NASCAR is going to be looking like in 10 years. Yeah, and especially because if you, the purse, if what you believe about the, about the Monster Energy paying less money than what Sprint's paid, um, the purse will be down next year as far as the points pay out at the end of the year as well. Something to keep in mind. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join the conversation, I'm talking in circles. Best and worst of the 2016 season we're going through here on Talking in Circles. Um, okay, we now have the best and worst team of the 2016 season. That's what our next topic here. Team, John, I want the car. I don't want the organization like like uh, Hendrick Motorsports or something like that. I want the actual car team, the number. Um, I'm going to go with somebody you mentioned earlier, and that's the 78 team. I think they had the best car and team all year long. I think Truex, for the majority of the year, it seemed like everywhere we went, it didn't matter what racetrack it was, that team was spot on. They ran really, really good, and I felt like they kind of got a little bit unlucky in the chase, and if they had gotten towards the end of that chase, I think they would have been really, really dangerous. That old mantra of you have to lose a championship before you win one with that 78 team could, could be a thing to look out for next season in 2017, because They've never run for the championship in their lives. Truex never did. 7018 never came close. So to sort of lose one here in 2016, and maybe it'll make it a better team in 2017 as far as the chase is concerned, 
But you can't help but be impressed with what Cole Pern and that 78 team did all year long, John. I thought they really, even better than their than their counterparts, the team they share information with at Joe Gibbs Racing, I thought they were very, very strong all year long, and they deserve to be the best team of the 2016 season. What's your thoughts on that? Uh, I think the 78 team was phenomenal throughout the season. And, I mean, that's two in a row they've made it to the top four. Or, no, two years ago they made it to the top four. This year they went out before the top four. And, I mean, it was an engine failure that cost them. They would have been in if the engine would have held up. And I think this one they learned. They kind of were lucky. They were like the Newman group a few years ago where they sort of held their own and somehow made it to the Final Four last year. And this year they almost deserved to be there. And fate came against them. So, yeah, it is the lose one before you win one. I think they grew leaps and bounds this year, even though their points finishing spot wasn't as high as it was in 2015. But to me, the team of the year, I think with all the adversity they went through and with everything that they had to face, is the 88 team. I think they ran well with Junior throughout the year. He was doing well. He got his concussion. And even though Jeff Gordon wasn't spectacular, I think they did great with Alex Bowman in the car. And they come out at the end of the year, the last few races, and they were on the money. They were the fastest Hendrick car toward the end of the year. And I think with everything they went through, Greg Ives, that team, they held themselves together. You lose your star. You lose your guy that you're focused on, that everything's built around, and Dale Earnhardt Jr., and you got a rookie who doesn't even have a full-time Xfinity ride and Alex Bowman hopping in the car, and he's out there performing well. He was not an embarrassment at all. It wasn't like you threw somebody in who was a rookie. I mean, say, for example, like Brian Scott. He wasn't in there playing chicken with the wall every other race. He was up there contending for the pole, contending for a top ten. A lot of times he had trouble with tire problems. And Jeff Gordon, he helped stabilize it. But I think throughout the year, for all the adversity they went through, my my team of the year is the 88 team. That's a great point, John. Something I overlooked, honestly, when I went through this. And I'll tell you what, Bowman's race at Phoenix, that was probably uh, the... I, I, I can't... The coolest moment of 20... The most surprising moment of the 2016 season moment, I should say, as far as an in-race thing that happened, and no disrespect to Alex Bowman, but when he went out there, if you told me he was going to run in the top ten, I was like, yeah, you could do that, but when he went out there and looked like he was going to basically, for the first part of that race, go out there and win at Phoenix, that was a whoa. He sat on the pole and led 194 of the race's 324 laps. That was incredible to watch that 88 car go out there and do that, and it was good to see because He's a guy who hasn't had a big opportunity yet, but got in that 88 car. And, yeah, there were some moments where he hit the wall sometimes uh, due to tires being blown. But he had three top ten finishes to finish the year, a tenth at Chicago, seventh at Kansas, and a sixth at Phoenix. That's a very good run for that for him in, in those cars. He learned his way through. I mean, he had more top ten finishes than a lot of the field. Um, so, listen, I think he did a very good job. I think he's a very good driver. And I think that helped stabilize and put Alex Bowman in, in people's minds as far as a guy who, given the right opportunity, can can run up front. And um, 
he proved that at Phoenix. And I, I agree, John. I think Alex Bowman was, was very interesting to look out for. Um, something I overlooked. Uh, my close second, again, was the 48 team. I think, you know, like I said, when you set out a goal in the beginning of the year, the goal is to check off championship, and the 48 team was able to do that. So uh, that's my, as far as second team goes uh, there. Okay, the worst team, John, of 2016. Again, we don't like to harp on this too badly, but if we're doing the best and worst, we have to kind of give you the best teams. And the worst team of 2016, who do you got, John? Who's your worst team? I almost have to go with the 32 from Go Fast Racing. They're just terrible. For having a charter, they were just bad. I mean, a 30th place finish was a good day to them. Let's see how it goes this year. I mean, there's still no driver announcement yet. Or, no, I'm sorry, there is. Matt Benedetto's in there, so there's hope for it. I mean, they've got a driver who's sort of proven himself last year, he, Matt Benedetto was being tap dance all over the place over there at BK Racing. But I think Matt Benedetto will stabilize things at Go Fast Racing. They have a higher charter up on the scale because they um, bought the charter from – they bought the charter and then traded theirs to the – or leased theirs to the Wood Brothers. So I think it should be a better year for Go Fast Racing. But I think the 32 team – overall was the one that was most out the launch every week. As much as I hate to do it, I agree. Um, I think week in, week out, the team really struggled. They used a variety of different drivers. And Archie St. Hilaire this year has come out and said, we can't, we can't run well that way. Um, again, I agree. I don't think you can, you can improve your team and your organization by using a variety of drivers. Jeffrey Earnhardt, it was hard to see what, how good he was with how that team performed this year. They have good sponsorship in, in Kappa and in Can-Am and all that kind of stuff. So DiBenedetto is going to go there this year. I think DiBenedetto, with a little bit of, uh, I think you're going to have a little bit more of an alliance with Richard Petty Motorsports. They bought, they bought some of that 40, those 44 cars from last year, the ones that were left. And I think as far as that is concerned, I think the 32 team will take a step up in 2016. I lo- or 2017, excuse me. I love Benedetto. I think he's a great hire. He's a guy who has, run, has been tabbed about all 36 races for that team. I think that should help that team. Okay, John, best organization of 2016. We just, we just, I'm sure we touched on it a couple of times. Who was your best organization of tw- the 2016 season, John? If you count Furniture Row, Joe Gibbs. If you don't count Furniture Row, I'm going to say Penske's Team Penske because Brad Keselowski and Joey Logano both were in contention almost every race. Both were all – they were always top ten cars. They were very rarely where they were out to lunch. Um, they both ran well all season long. Gibbs was really good. But they weren't even the best of their own cars because one of the ones they kept giving out every week to Truex was beating them on a pretty regular basis. So, I mean, to be honest with you, I would go Team Penske because of the performance of Logano and Keselowski all year. And then you add in Ryan Blaney because the Wood Brothers are basically 
a Penske farm team, and Blaney did not do anything wrong this year. He ran solid in that 21 car, the best run that team has had in a long, long time. So I'm going to go Team Penske as the best team of 2016 with Gibbs following behind. Yeah, listen, they, Wood Brothers and Team Penske were fast. Um, I'm very interested to see how their the 2017 season will go for them. Now that they have some big time competition there in the Ford camp, using their own using the same engines that they used with Stuart Haas's four car operation coming over. Um, absolutely, I think that'll be very interesting to see. And I think uh, Penske performed well, but I'm gonna go Joe Gibbs Racing because I think I do include I do, as far as Furniture Row is concerned, or yeah, Furniture Row is concerned. I'm going to put them as a separate organization. I'm going to put them a second on my list, a close second. And I, the only reason why they're second is because Furniture Row doesn't build their own chassis or engines. They get them from Joe Gibbs Racing. And I think the uh, production and everything in that Joe Gibbs Racing team was top notch in 2017 or 2016. Excuse me. I think it, it was very, very good. Um, they got in a chase and they tapered off a little bit. But it seemed like every week it was a Toyota up front early on for the majority of the season. And I think that's why Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row Racing um, really proved that they can go out there and, and do well um, and really compete for a championship. And gave Carl Edwards a shot to win the championship at the end of the year. Um, so I think Joe Gibbs Racing and Furniture Row Racing, one and two for me, as far as the best organization in 2016. What are your thoughts on that, John? Um, do you think Joe Gibbs Racing was better than Team Penske, or, or what are your thoughts on that? I think Penske was the top team of the year. I think Joe Gibbs was really good, but I don't think Joe Gibbs was... If Joe Gibbs is getting beat by stuff that they're putting out of their own house, I don't think that's the way to do it. It's sort of like you can't say Hendrick's the top team whenever Stuart Haas is beating him with their own stuff. So I think Gibbs was really good. They put out four quality cars, but I don't think Gibbs was the best Toyota, so how could you have them as a team of the year? No, that's a very, very solid point, John. I agree. I, I, I disagree from that standpoint. I understand your point, but to me, they were the ones that, that built that organization to have the best teams uh, in that 78 car. They were the ones that built that team, built the chassis, built the engines, um, put all the information in there. Sure, the, the 78 team put their own little tweaks into it, but as far as the ex- the product they were getting, it came from Joe Gibbs Racing. So that's why I gave Joe Gibbs Racing the nod there. Um, worst organization. There's a lot of candidates here. Um, H. Scott didn't have a very good year this year with Clint Boyer as their driver. I thought Boyer, let me just say, I thought Boyer at H. Scott Motorsports got off to a really sluggish start there. I think early in the year he was very frustrated because the team only had one engineer, he came out and said that early in the year. I think Boyer was very frustrated. But I give Boyer a lot of credit this year. I think he had a pretty good year for how bad that's, that H. Scott Motorsports team was. Um, I think a lot of people thought, well, they're going to get Stuart Haas uh, information. And then when Stuart Haas said they were going to Ford, it almost seemed like they weren't getting any information. Um, but Boyer kind of kept his cool, kept his composure, went out there every week and performed. And you got to give the guy credit. Never heard him complaining. Never heard him saying this stinks. Sure, he knew he had a, a good ride next in 2017 with the 14 car. 
but it must have been a very frustrating year for Borden. I give him a lot of credit for that. I think H. Scott's in the conversation. Uh, Premium Motorsports, the two corporations, they're in the orga- they're in the conversation as far as go fast racing. They're in that as well. What are your thoughts on the worst organization in 2016, John? Uh, again, I think we. I don't look at GoFast and Premium as the worst organization because they're sort of like one-off teams that are trying to get there. I don't really look at H. Scott in that way. The one thing I am disappointed with H. Scott in is Clint Boyer brought in some pretty good sponsorship with him. He brought in Five Hour Energy. He brought in Maxwell Health. He brought in Peak and brought some money to the table. You would have thought H. Scott Motorsports might have got him a couple engineers throughout the year with the money that Boyer was bringing in. So that was kind of a disappointment. I think overall, the worst overall organization, I go back to Roush Fenway. Greg Biffle did not forget how to drive a race car. And he was bad. So bad that he didn't want to come back, and Greg Biffle still loves driving race cars. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. had a couple moments. Um, Trevor Bain had a couple moments. But I still think Roush Fenway was the worst overall organization. And you can tell because Greg Biffle hung up the helmet, leaving Roush Fenway. Robbie Reiser's out as the general manager. They're totally revamping stuff. They're dropping down to two teams to try to reinvigorate the organization. And if you're contracting from three to two, and if you remember, it was just ten years ago whenever they had five cars in the chase field of ten, and now they can't get yep. two cars into the top 20. Yeah, it's, it's, it's been a big-time fall for Roush Fenway. There's no doubt about it, John. I think they belong in the conversation. You mentioned Biffle leaving. They've also sold that 16 16- uh, charter, uh, excuse me, leased it to 47 teams, second car, which is now going to be 37 with Chris Buescher, and they couldn't find sponsorship for Chris Buescher in that 16 car, and there's a reason for that, because they weren't very good last year, um, and I think that is ultimately a bad sign when you're selling charters away, you're you're leasing charters. I think what they're doing is smart, because I think if you don't have the money to run a three-car operation, and Jack, I think, done it in the past where he might not have had the money to run a three-car operation, but he puts it out of his own pocket or, or he gets figures out a way to get it done. Next year, he's not going to do that. And I think he's taking the resources and everything he has from a three-car operation and went two-car operation. I think that's a good thing. But if you ask Jack Roush in the beginning of the year in February, do you want to have a three-car team or a two-car team, he would say I want a three-car team with sponsorship fully on that 16-car. They lost 3M a couple of years ago. They haven't been able to rebound, finding sponsorship, and it's basically because they have just not run good enough. Like you said, I agree. I think Greg Biffle's a, a great driver. I don't think he's forgotten how to drive a race car, but Edwards got out of there. Uh, Kenneth got out of there. Biffle tried like heck to get out of there and couldn't. Um, so, yeah, Roush Fenway, another very, very, very interesting team. As far as the 2016 or 2017 season goes, um, with the two cooperation, Stenhouse and Bain, two young drivers there. Um, I think Stenhouse is a good driver. Bain, I think the book is still out on him. He won his day 2500, but I think the book is still out on him. I think he's got some, something to prove there. Um, hasn't won the Xfinity Championships like we saw with Stenhouse. 
So that's a very interesting team. H Scott Motorsports, like I mentioned earlier, they're gone. They're gone completely. They've uh, sold their charter, their 77 car. Um, so that team's gone completely. Michael Onet's moved to the Xfinity Series. Um, Premium Motorsports, not really sure what their plans are for 2017. So um, as far as the worst organizations go, uh, yeah, there's, some, there's definitely some teams. Rash Fenway definitely belongs in the conversation as well. 917-889-8280 here. If you want to join the conversation on Talking in Circles, John, as far as drivers are concerned, who do you think surprised you the most in 2016 in a positive way? Where you kind of sat there and said, oh, you know, I wasn't expecting, you know, as well as they performed in 2016. Like, wow, they really had a good year. Who was that for you in the 2016 season? That's a tough one because there really wasn't a lot of really big surprises on how well people did. I mean, Chase Elliott was a little bit of a surprise of him making the chase, but he's still driving Gordon stuff, and everybody knew Chase was going to be good. They just didn't know it was going to be this good this early. Um, to be honest with you, the biggest surprise to me, I'm going to go back to the 88 and Alex Bowman for what little limited time he ran in that car. He ran great, and the sad part is he doesn't have a ride next year other than to run the Clash at Daytona in the 88 car. And that's sad because he's a good driver. And Mike Lynette, who is almost as big a crash factory as Brian Scott was, has a full-time ride at JR Motorsports because he's bringing Pilot Flying J with him. But Alex Bowman, who ran well in Junior's car at the cup level, is sitting there with his helmet bag saying, hello, I'm over here. Anybody need a driver? I think Alex Bowman yeah. was the biggest surprise to me. That's interesting because I didn't think of Bowman, but he listen, he belongs in the conversation, no doubt about it. I think he was very, very good um, and surprisingly. But I'm going to go who the guy you mentioned earlier, Chase Elliott. Listen, no doubt we thought Chase Elliott, well, he's going to 24 car. It's a great team. Uh, his dad's Bill Elliott. He's a, his dad was a great race car driver. They'll lean on his help son out with the information. But he really Chase came three close to three or four wins this year. Never got the victory lane, no doubt about it. But I think Chase really surprised some people. I, to me personally, and um, I'm not sure how many people would agree with me on this, but I think Chase Elliott performed better in the 24 car in 2016 than Jeff Gordon did in 2015. Um, and you could say, well, Jeff was kind of checked out and whatnot, but I think that 24 car took steps in the right direction in 2016 with Chase Elliott behind the wheel. Now, I'm not saying Jeff, Chase Elliott's a better driver than Jeff Gordon. I'm not saying that at all, but for whatever reason, I felt like that 2014 performed better in 2016 than it did in 2015. Um, I think that is a compliment in itself to Chase Elliott because you expect a rookie getting in there replacing a guy who had 93 career wins, uh, one of the best drivers ever, you would expect that team to take a little bit of a lull, and it didn't do that this year. Um, and Chase Kelly deserves a lot of credit for that. And I think if you talk to people earlier in the year, especially when he sat on the pole for the Daytona 500, but when he wrecked in that Daytona 500, it was like, well, it was nice, but welcome to the Cup Series, Chase Kelly. He wrecked in the Daytona 500, and he really, really had a good year in that 24 car. So I definitely think he belongs in the conversation as far as best surprises. And my close second for this, and this is going to surprise some people, 
is Michael McDowell in that 95 car. He didn't run the full season this year, but that Michael McDowell in that 95 team really, really performed, I think, a lot better than, than what was expected from that team. Now they get a, a closer alliance with Richard Childress Racing. Todd Parrott comes in there, a championship-winning crew chief, uh, a great crew chief. He comes in there. They're selling sponsorship on that 95 next year for Michael McDowell. He helped this season help that team take the next level. Now, it's not the level of a championship caliber team or a team that can win on, on, on a weekly basis. I don't think that team's there yet. But they were sort of the bottom-of-the-barrel team, and they're sort of getting out of that and starting to get into the middle-of-the-road team. And Michael McDowell deserves a ton of credit for his performance in that 95 car this year. I thought he was very, very good, John. Uh, for the majority of the year in that 95 car. I think Michael McDowell had a very surprising year, like you said. Um, the one problem with Michael McDowell toward the end of the year, if you look the last three races when there were cautions close to the end, Michael McDowell was the one who brought out the caution. And a lot of it wasn't his fault. I mean, get a cut tire or something like that. Nothing he did to cause it, but he just happened to be the one who was causing cautions that put them all back together for those final um green white checkers or the mad dash to the finish but michael mcdowell did a great job in that 95 and i'm looking forward to see how him and todd parrott do together as a year my sleeper and sort of a runner-up would be ryan blaney with the same reason you have for chase elliott um he is dave blaney's son but dave blaney was a buckeye bullet on dirt and ryan blaney's never driven on dirt in his life but he did a great job for the wood brothers the first year they've been full-time in years and they had a little lull in the middle where they had a couple crashes in there and a couple blown engines. But I think Ryan Blaney showed that he does have what it takes to run at the cup level. And I think he's going to build off of the 2016 season. I think he was a runner-up, sort of my surprise for the year. Yeah, I love Blaney, too. I think Blaney's a great driver. He's done well in the trucks. He's won Xfinity races. He's won truck races. Um, and he's only gonna, it's going to be a matter of time before he wins a uh, cup race. Um, the Wood Brothers are a great team. They, they ran for the first full time for the first time this year, in uh, I believe it was since 2008 or nine was the last time they ran full time. So it was been a little bit of a little bit of a, a while since they run full time. Yeah, they get Pens- Penske support, but to kind of get that full season under his belt, go to some of these racetracks in a Cup car for the first time. He wasn't a rookie, but he's pretty close to it. Um, biggest sort of disappointment for the 2016 season, John. Um, who do you have, the guy that, man, he should have had a better year in that. He should, they should have had a better year. They should have ran better. Who do you got? Well, it's tough. That one you could easily um, go with the sort of the bottom feeders and look at the Biffles, look at the Casey Canes and stuff like that. The one who I really think was sort of a disappointment but was in the chase was Denny Hamlin. He came out on fire, won the Daytona 500, was running great, and then all of a sudden, gone. And then he started picking up again toward the once the chase started a little bit, but it just wasn't there this year. And you kept waiting for it to come back because the Toyotas were running great all year. It's just Hamlin's team was missing something. And I think that was sort of my disappointment of the year was the 11 team and how the expectations were so high coming out of the gate 
and they just sort of fluttered. Yeah, that's an interesting team. Uh, 917-889-8280 to join the conversation here on Talking Circles, best and worst 2016 season. We're going through currently on the biggest disappointment of the 2016 season. Um, Hamilton's interesting because, man, I think he's got all the talent in the world. And it just seems like that 11 team, for whatever reason, they don't win a championship. They just haven't been able to do it yet. I think Hamlin is a guy who um, it just seems like when the chase comes around, that 11 team seems to go, eh. He had that one really, really strong year in the chase, and then he had a uh, mishap at Phoenix, and he got kind of got upset at Mike Ford back in the day. And since then, it just hasn't seemed like that 11 team and, and Hamlin have been right. Um, and they've changed crew chiefs a couple of times in that team. Mike Wheeler's there now. And it's first year with Mike Wheeler, so, hey, he's got next year with him. It should, it should be uh, a positive to be with a crew chief for a second year for sure. I think um, – Hamlin should belong in the conversation, but the guy I got, John, is Dace Kane. We heard him earlier. We talked about him earlier in the show. Um, this has not only been a, a thing that has happened this year. Um, I think the thing that Casey has been it's been a, it's been a, a trend lately that Casey's gone out and really really struggled. And he did it again in 2016. 2017 is a huge year for them because he's in his final year of his contract. William Byron's coming up soon. Um, you got to kind of figure out where Byron's going to go, who's going to replace, whatnot. Casey, he's losing the farmer insurance. You know, it, it, it's a big year for him in 2017. But I think he definitely, if you talk to people and said he was going to say 17th in points and only have three top five finishes, they go, ooh, that's a bad year for Casey Kane. And I think it was a very disappointing year for Casey Kane. What are your thoughts, John? Well, like I said he, earlier, whatever I had him was my most disappointing driver. He didn't lead a lap, and that's not Casey Kane. For sure, especially with that Hendrick Motorsports team, like you mentioned, John. Um, I, I definitely think that was something. Okay, um, what do you think, John, was the biggest story – of the year. There's a, there's a lot of stories. And listen, it could be something that happened in December. It could be something that happened in February. It could be something that happened in January with Tony Stewart's back injury. Um, the calendar 2016 year, what do you think was the biggest story? Stuart Haas going to Ford. It was probably the biggest blind side. Because whenever, if you remember right, whenever you, me, and Lee from Virginia were talking about when it first came out, I called you both, told you we're both full of crap. There's no way, and you know what, that Tony Stewart's ever going to leave Chevy. And then there's the press conference where Tony's saying, hey, Ford came up and basically brought the Brinks truck and said, we'd love to have you. And they want to do their own stuff. They want to become Stuart Haas Racing, not Stuart Haas under the Hendrick Motorsports banner. And I think that's probably the biggest story of the year. Ford is showing that they're in here for business because Toyota came in with their five major teams and put a thump on almost everybody all year. It's the first time in forever that Chevy hasn't won the manufacturer's title. And Ford is getting to be the third-class citizen. 
if you keep going at it, Chevy's always been dominant. Toyota's getting up there, and Ford's been saying, hey, uh, we have great engines because nobody makes horsepower like Doug Yates, but they haven't had the performance. They've had the two Penske teams, and Roush Fenway's been out to lunch. Petty Motorsports has been out to lunch. And anybody else getting their stuff from Roush Fenway has been out to lunch. Let's drop the Brinks truck over there at Kannapolis and see what we can get out of Tony Stewart and Gene Haas and his boys. And I think that's the biggest story of the year, the fact that there was all the talk for about three months of is Harvick going to stay or is he going to go to Hendrick because he's only driven a Chevy. Harvick was never leaving Stewart Haas. We all knew that, but nobody would stop going over that rumor. I think it brought up a lot of talk. I think it changed the way Stuart Haas' chase could have been because they didn't have the same technical alliance with Hendrick this chase that they've had every other chase. So I think Stuart Haas going to Ford was probably the biggest story of 2016. Listen, I remember right where I was when I got a call telling me that Stuart Haas was going to Ford. I almost, I, I was shocked. I almost uh, wrecked my car. I hate to say that, but I was like, are you kidding me? My jaw dropped. Um, no doubt about it, the shock factor from that was unbelievable, and it just got you thinking, well, how's this going to affect their season? How's this going to affect Kevin Harvick's run for a championship? Uh, how's this going to affect, you know, Kurt Bush, Tony Stewart's final year um, when he comes back? You know, and listen, like I said, there was a lot of interesting stories. Tony Stewart's back injury was shocking to me. I remember where I was when I heard that going, oh, my gosh, Tony Stewart's going to miss the first part of the year. Because of back injury, how long is he going to miss? Is he going to be able to run for a championship? He was able to go out and win and really run, be in the chase. I wouldn't say run for a championship, but he made the chase off of that, um, which was huge. But I hope people understand this. But I'm a, I think it's a tie for me as far as the biggest stories of the year, two of them. And it happened in February and it happened in December. I'm going to go with the charter system announcement in, in February and the monster energy announcement in December. It sort of goes hand in hand because I think when you think about the chartering system, it's the sure it doesn't affect the fans as far as a, a on track performance. It shouldn't affect anything, but how this sport is operated, how this sport is run. Um, it's interesting. I think it, it, it's a monument. It was a monumental decision by NASCAR and these team owners to say, we want a little bit bigger piece of the pie. We want a, a, a way to figure out how to, to sort of help the spending, and we want to keep everything together. And that was the RTAs doing. I think that was humongous. And has it helped the sport? I think that the, the judgment's still out on that. As far as this year went, no. I mean, maybe Tony Baldwin got a little bit more money than what he would have gotten from his – organization had he just left and gotten up after the end of the year, but maybe he wouldn't even have left in the beginning at the end anyway. That's something to keep in mind, and I think the Monster Energy announcement is huge, especially the report that they've come in way under what they were looking for and way under what Sprint was paying. To me, that is monumental as far as these owners are concerned, because that points payout, the top 25 points payout, is going to go significantly down. And I think that is a big, big problem in years going forward. So I think the charter system and how the sport pays out their money and Monster Energy, they sort of go hand in hand. I think that was the biggest story 
on the 2016 season because it's going to have an impact not only for 2016, but 2017 and the years beyond. Yeah, there's no arguing with what you said there, Clayton. Those are they're two stories in one, the Charters and Monster Energy. And like you said, the Charters, we're still watching. They're playing musical chairs with the back-of-the-pack back Charters right now. And especially now that NASCAR doesn't post how much everybody wins, it's all behind the table, so nobody really knows if the charter system is helping the small owners like Tommy Baldwin. And we don't know how much Tommy Baldwin got for his charter. So you're hoping that it helps the small guys. But the idea of it was to help the small guys be able to stay in. And it doesn't seem that way because Tommy Baldwin's getting out. Harry Scott's getting out. Um, Archie Saint, I mean, the Go Fast Racing's fighting to stay in. Um Nobody knows what's happening with Circle Sport. Uh, Premium Motorsports is fighting to stay in. We don't know if this is going to help the back of the pack teams stay in, or if it's going to force them mm-hmm. out. And yeah, I with the go ahead. Go, and with the monster coming in the way that it is, if it's a two-year, twenty million dollars a year, NASCAR is going to have to start pulling money out of their own pockets to pay these owners, or the product's going to dry up. Because yeah, getting thirty million dollars in sponsorship to win five million bucks, that's going to come to a quick. That's going to come to a quick halt because the sponsor going to say, "Hey, where's the return on my investment?" And and you have to wonder how it's going to affect other sponsors. Why would a sponsor sit there and go, "Why would I pay thirty million dollars a year to be on a forty-eight car when the entire to sponsor the entire series is twenty million dollars? Why would I do that? That doesn't make any sense." So I'm going to cut back my. You know, we'll still sponsor you, but um, and how many sponsors are willing to pay that thirty million dollars? So interesting. It, I think it's going to have a big impact as far as that concern. And and you talked about, you know, teams shutting down and teams closing. You know, Richmond Motorsports went down to one team. Sure, we've seen the seventy-seven grow and the thirty-seven grow, which is good. But there's also rumors now we've read online where BK Racing might be leasing out one of their charters to another team. And that uh, an Xfinity Series team might be making the bump up to the Cup Series, and BK Racing is releasing that out to a, to a, an Xfinity Series team to sort of help them keep above water. So, and and they had a situation where they were locked out of their building earlier in the year for only one day, of course, but short. But it's a big deal. So, listen, I think those how we pay out our sport and the money that comes into this sport is important. Business side of this sport is very, very important, um, and I think those two things are very are huge as far as the 2016 season was. I want to thank everybody for a great 2016. Uh, John Harlow from SpeedwayMedia.com. SpeedwayMedia.com has been great with us this year. John Harlow, you've been great this year. I appreciate you. Lee in Virginia, who's helped contribute to this show, does a great job. Ryan in Virginia helps us a lot. Um, we get a lot of great people on this show. For everybody I forgot in 2016, I thank you. And most importantly, the people who listen to this show, uh, loyal fans we have on this show, I appreciate it. You guys are not forgotten. And we expect to hit the ball, hit the ground running next week in 2017. Hope to have a little bit of upgrades here in 2017. And you'll hear those hopefully. Again, thanks, everybody, for a great 2016. Hope you had a great holiday season. And we hope to see you in 2017. Be safe, everybody. And good night.